Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Peyton Jones, and you are listening to Hardcore Church Planning. My guest today is Jared, and Jared is a missionary with the IMB in various parts of Asia, and uh, I'm not going to say all the names of where he's been because I'll get it wrong, but Jared knows where he's been, and Jared, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's good to be with you, Peyton. All right. Now, we can't, we can't actually use your last name because you are in parts of Asia that uh, are closed, uh, and it, man, it is such an honor. You're, you're a hero uh, to me personally, and you know, it, it, I pray, man, that, that God raises up more people through this podcast who will hear your story, hear your observations and say, you know what, what am I doing? Why am I not going uh, as far as God could fling me to other parts of the world? So uh, I'm going to hand over the microphone to you now. And uh, we're, we're sitting here at beautiful lush Mariner's Church in uh, Irvine, which is worlds away other than the palm trees uh, from, from where you're ministering. So tell us some of the places you've ministered. Uh, that's a hard, hard thing to discuss, Peyton. We, uh, we spent the last 10 years really in South Asia, which is, uh, it encompasses seven countries, India, Nepal, Bhutan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, the Maldives, and Pakistan. And uh, most all of those places are closed places that uh, are antagonistic to the gospel. And we'll get kicked out if I tell you exactly where we've been. But we spend a lot of time in mountains and along the plains as well and everywhere in between. Awesome, man. Well, so what, what do you actually do out there? What's your, what's your role? <laughs> I describe it as we, we have two primary tasks. One is everywhere we go. We are meeting lost people, sharing the gospel, discipling them, and starting churches ourselves. That's our, that's our private, personal witness that we need to be doing. The second thing that we got to do, though, is in the places that we've worked, we have a very small percentage of Christians, but that is the largest missionary force that we have that's local. So the more time I can spend training those existing believers how to multiply, basically how to meet lost people, share the gospel, disciple them, and start churches— the better. So we spend a lot of our time balanced between those two things, our personal witness and our public ministry of teaching others to do the exact same thing we're doing. Awesome, man. Well, what what are some things, I mean, you're sitting here worlds apart from where you minister. And um, you and I, I mean, I wish we could have recorded our conversation before this, right? Um, but you and I were talking about, you know, things like first century principles, biblical principles that you can take pretty much to any part of the world. What I mean, what I what I would really like to do during this interview is just kind of put you in a press and just squeeze on it and and just have your insight about mission and the gospel and you know what the Lord's doing because I mean, you know, I don't want to get you in trouble. We were talking about things like you know, I, I asked you a very pointed question about the Holy Spirit and you just said, "Hey, you know, we're we're seeing the Book of Acts every day," and that that's the kind of thing 
that I think church planners, particularly in the West, stand up and take notice of is we want to see that same kind of explosive growth, um, not church growth, but the growth of converts, people embracing the gospel and coming to know Jesus. What does that look like where you're ministering? People coming to know Jesus, that's, that's an everyday occurrence. Um, like you mentioned before, it is worlds apart from here. We have the luxury and the privilege of working with people that are so far out of the gospel, they have no idea what it means to be a, a Christian. There's no preconceived notions there. So, you know, for, for example, you take Hindus. They're worshiping 330 million gods. For a Hindu to accept another god is not a problem. The problem is for them to accept Jesus only. And when they abandon 330 million gods and they choose to follow the one true God, their entire worldview changes. And they are a blank slate. And they are ready to listen. They're ready to learn. And they're ready for us to really pour into them. What does it mean to be a Christian? And our biggest challenge is to strip away all of our American traditions and go back to the book of Acts. Uh, at its core, what I believe is the God that's alive in the New Testament is the same God that's alive today, and we're worshiping him. And if that God, if he hasn't changed, then how he acts and what he does hasn't changed as well. So we see the book of Acts unfold. We see all those great things. We see things like, you know, check out, check out Acts 19, the story of Paul going to Ephesus. And down around, uh, I don't have my Bible here in front of me, but verse 8 through 10, I think it says, Paul was there two years and three months, and everybody in the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So who does that leave out? It's all Jews, and it's all Greeks. That's everybody. In the province of Asia, historians will tell us that somewhere, you know, several million people that were affected during that time by Paul's gospel witness. How is that possible? Well, it's possible through the work of the Holy Spirit, and it's possible through everyday average believers catching the idea that this is who I am. I was created to multiply the kingdom of God everywhere I go, both from place to place across here, as well as to the ends of the earth. And we're seeing that happen. We're seeing guys in, in Asia. I'm reminded of this one young guy. He was 14 years old, living on... Uh, the border of, of two states that we were working in. And at 14 years old, he came to faith in Jesus. Inside three weeks, he'd led his father and mother to faith. Inside three months, he had started three churches and his father had started two others. And by the way, that's in the midst of very high persecution where every day people were coming to him, telling him, you need to abandon Jesus or we're going to kill you. And still he stood up and still he's promoting the name of Jesus everywhere he goes. Simply, I, I, I tell people it's because he didn't know any better than to read God's word, believe what it says, and obey it. That's what we're seeing unfold every day in Asia. Well, normally my, my partner Pete Mitchell would be on here, and uh, he uh, decided not to come and make our early appointment. But, uh, but normally he would ask you what your story is, how you personally came to faith. And then he would ask you how you got involved as a missionary. So I'm going to ask you to give us the potted version of how you came to faith and then expand a bit on how did you end up in Asia? Because I'm standing across from here and you're, you're, you're almost as white as Pete. He's the whitest white guy I know. He's got red hair and everything. But how did you end up in that part of the world? That's a great question. I, um, I'm from a small town in Missouri and 
I was one of those guys that if you could be born into a church, I was born into it. I was there literally the night after I was born was a Wednesday night, and I was in church that night. So I grew up in a small Southern Baptist church there and uh, came to faith actually through an old-fashioned hellfire and brimstone preaching session. All I knew that, that, I, that I knew that day was I didn't want to go to hell, and that's all the pastor was preaching about. So I came forward, I got my fire insurance, and that, I, I tell Asians, that started me on a process of faith. It was initially fear-based, but then along about uh, end of high school, I'd really chosen to make the Lord the Lord of my life. I'd given everything over to Him. And uh, that, that story goes that I had my life mapped out for me. I have an older brother, and uh, he'd gone to West Point, and I'd lived in his shadow every day of my life. So uh, I tried to figure out how do you one-up the guy that went to West Point. Ended up uh, going, applying to the Air Force Academy, getting in. The last thing they had me do was uh, take an eye test. And they said, uh, read the fifth line down. I could only read the fourth line down. And they said, if you can't read the fifth line down, you're never going to fly fighter jets for us. So that was it. That was the end of the straw, last straw for me. And uh, so I ended up at a, at a small Christian university uh, studying business for lack of anything better to do. Uh, it took about two days of accounting to figure out I didn't want to do business. And uh, then I began uh, asking the Lord, really, Lord, what do you want me to do? That was the first time in my life I'd ever had that happen. And uh, through that entire process, the only answer I ever got back from the Lord was, you'll only be happy doing what I've created you to do. And, you know, I'm very conservative. So that's a fairly weird answer for me. And I began looking back over the course of my life to that point, where had I been joy-filled? And that was this mission trip, that mission trip, so on and so forth. Ended up changing my, my major in college to missions, going home and telling my father, who's a businessman, and uh, he said, that's nice, son, but you better stay in business so you can get a real job someday. And uh, against his better wishes, we, uh, I married my high school sweetheart in college, and then 18 months later, we were on the mission field trying to reach uh, a small, isolated people group up in the mountains, the Himalayas. And that's kind of our story in a nutshell. And uh, it's been quite the wild ride, to say the least. But uh, getting to Asia was actually a, a unique experience as well. Um, you're looking around the world. Uh, for us, we're not one of those people that ever prayed over the world and, and really felt like the Lord has called us to this specific people group or this specific place. Uh, for us, there's a map out there called uh, GSEC, Global Status of Evangelical Christianity. And basically on this map, everybody in the world that's a Christian is green, and everybody in the world who is not yet a Christian is red. And as you look at that map, there's a huge red blot over South Asia. And that's what took us to, to those countries uh, 10 years ago at this point. And that's what keeps us there to this day, is we want to continue to have an impact on lostness. And that's what we're called to more than a place or more than a people group. So where are there the most lost people? That's, that's where we want to go. That's awesome, man. And, and here's the thing is that, you know, just listening to uh, you told a story earlier about you were up, I think it was, uh, can I say the place? Can I say you were in Kathmandu? And uh, you told a story about a guy you had to leave behind, kind of first century style, kind of like Paul. That was, a, that was a great story, man. Can you tell us what happened? Sure. I'd hired this guy, uh, let's call him James. Um, 
James, James was a pre-existing Christian, and I was working literally um, five days off the end of the road in the mountains of Nepal. Uh, my wife was coming with me. We had what I would call a long commute to work, five days up, three days out, and I had hired James to come with us to, to teach us language. And his only job was during that eight days of walking, uh, pack our minds full of a much, as much language as possible. Um, so over the course of two years, we're hiking back and forth all the time, going back and forth between Kathmandu and these villages. And uh, during that time, uh, James, he was a believer, and he started watching what we were doing. And uh, during our language time, he was teaching me to pray in Nepali. We'd always pray over the villages as we walked through them or uh, under them. And one day we were walking under this one called Garu, and uh, we'd seen a lot of openness in this place. We'd seen uh, people watch the Jesus film with us. We'd shared abundantly the gospel of Jesus with them. We'd had a lot of open doors to come back. We even had one lady that said she wanted to believe in Jesus, but her husband had said no. And because of that, she was unwilling to, to actually put her trust in him. Uh, a lot of open doors. And I remember praying, Lord, send somebody here to start a church. And when we were done, James piped up and he said, uh, I think the Lord's calling me to start a church here. And like an ignorant fool, I opened my mouth and I said, James, you don't understand. We're on our way back to Kathmandu and I got this meeting, this meeting, I got these things to do. And he said, brother, you misunderstood. He's not calling us. He's calling me to go here and start a church. And the Lord just slapped me upside the head with that. And he left an, a huge impression on my life that over the course of two years, we'd, we'd struggle to see one church start in this people group. And we had about 12 believers that were meeting together. And praise the Lord that there was one church. But at the same time, the population of the country at the time was 27 million people. 12 people versus 27 million, that one church is a drop in the bucket. And we were praying, asking, what can we do about this? And the Lord gave us James and said, the greatest thing you can leave behind after two years is another guy that's doing the exact same thing that you are. And to this day, James is in those villages continuing to start churches. And honestly, he's more effective at doing it than I am. Because as you mentioned, I've got very white skin. And James is able to say with with the through the power of the Holy Spirit, I used to be just like you, but now I've come to faith in Jesus, and this is why I'm out here starting churches. A very positive testimony. Well, and I think that's really uh, powerful because here we are. We're 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 talking about you know what you're really hitting on is reproducing yourself, and one of the keys to multiplication is that. And I always think that you know pastors. They're trendy little critters, right? They like trendy words. They like buzzwords. And uh, kind of like in, in the spirit of Eugene Cho's book where he said, hey, we're really good at talking about stuff, but we don't often do what we talk about. So when I hear guys in the Western context in America talking about multiplication, and I hear what they're often saying about multiplication, the secrets to multiplication, or I'm reading books by guys that are talking about multiplication, and they never even planted a church but are posturing themselves as experts on multiplication, I just kind of smile and say, that's cute. But, but because I know a bit about overseas mission and, and how when you don't have the money and you don't have the, the machine behind you, um, you really have to fall back to first century principles. Um, you guys are doing multiplication. Um, and, and, and it's, it's, 
you know, you, I don't know if you've written a book. I don't know if you sell a, a, a program for ninety nine ninety five. All I know is you're doing it. And many times the guys with the platform who talk about it aren't doing it. The doers and the talkers are often two different people. So I'm with a doer right now. I'm with a walker. I'm not with a talker. Um, how are you guys seeing multiplication? Um, what, what are the keys to multiplication for you guys? How's it all working out? That's a question that we don't have a whole lot of time to dive into today, but uh, we're seeing churches multiply on a daily basis at this point. We're seeing disciples be made. Um, maybe one of the, the shortest stories I could give you on that is one day we were doing a strategy planning session, and we had mapped out a couple of places that we wanted to go and see a church start. And when we actually got to those places, we'd found there's already a church there, and it was a disciple of a disciple. Um, we're seeing those types of things happen all the time. Uh, for us, what we would suggest as the key to multiplication is what you just said. It's leadership development. And as missionaries, we have a unique uh, situation to work in. And that unique situation is we never know when we're going to be pulled off the field. So if you're not giving it all away to everybody you come across and working with those who are faithful and fruitful, you don't have a chance. Right now in one of our nations, uh, we've lost out of our own organization over the last um, 10 months, we've lost about 7% of our missionary personnel due to visa issues. Uh, We've personally been kicked out of villages. We've personally been asked to never come back. And you never know, is that going to happen after a week or after a month or after a decade? Uh, But there comes a day where you've got to entrust everything to the locals. And for us, that, that key is... Shifting it from I'm the man to my greatest desire is to give away the kingdom where those guys do far greater things than I can do. That's what Jesus prays for his disciples in John 14. He says, I pray that you would do more than I have done. And that's really where you have to get when it comes to multiplication is expect your disciples to do greater things, to be better at their jobs than you are at yours and expect them to go to places, expect their names to become more famous than yours. And if you're willing to give it all away, that's where multiplication begins. And it usually doesn't start with, you know, one day we went from one church to a hundred. Instead, it starts with one life that multiplies into the next, that multiplies into the next, where over the course of decades, you see thousands of churches plant, and you don't know who all those guys are. I think you have just pretty much um, turned the conversation inside out with your last statement, because what you've pointed out that I still don't think the West quite understands is we're not talking about multiplying churches. We're not talking about the church as an entity. We're talking individuals. We're talking people. We're talking reproducing ourselves and the lives of others uh, rather than I've got to multiply a church. Because you know how it is, right? You go in the locker room and, you know, uh, everyone takes a towel off and they compare, you know, hey, hey, you know, like, you know, hey, how big is your church? That's how it was in the 80s and 90s. Oh, my church is 70,000 people. Hey, hey, you know. Well, my church, you know, or one guy goes away and feels ashamed, puts his towel back on. Well, you know, the, the reality is nowadays, um, now those same guys are in the locker room going, how many campuses do you have? Well, you know, and then, and now it's starting to be multiple, you know, we're not an addition church where I don't even think they know what they're talking about. But, but here's the deal. What you're actually saying is 
it's one life touching another life. And, and, and that is super powerful, man. Yeah. Think about it this way. Um, I've got a theory and I, I haven't thought this all the way through, but my theory is we look back at, you know, let's take the, the Reformation. Who's the leader of the Reformation? Well, we would all look back and say it's Martin Luther. But you read the writings of the day, Martin Luther is one of a hundred guys that kind of all arrived at the same place together. And I would suggest in his day, Martin Luther was not seen as the great leader of the Reformation. The same with the Great Awakening. You know, we, have, we always point back to Jonathan Edwards. But in his day, how great of a preacher was he? He was one of uh, literally hundreds of guys that were out doing the same things, and it became this grassroots-led movement. That's what we're seeing in Asia, is we're seeing the average Christian, uh, a percentage of those who come to faith in Jesus, stand up and say, the Lord is calling me to the next village, the next place. And out of that, it becomes such a groundswell that this is naturally what everybody does. And I'm okay if nobody ever knows who I am. I'm okay never to become famous or never to write that book. And instead, what we're after is the glory of the Lord spreading everywhere it goes. And what we're finding is the basics of of multiplying churches or multiplying disciples, it's the same thing. It starts with, how do you meet lost people? We've got to give them an answer. Followed by, what do I say when I meet them? That's the gospel. Followed by, what do I do if they say yes? That's discipleship. Followed by, what does church actually look like? How do we bind believers together inside healthy reproducing groups where they, they can have this huddle where they're coming together for mutual encouragement week after week? And those types of things, man, you don't get famous over that. Instead, if you want to be famous, you better go get a mic and stand up and draw the largest crowd around. But if you want to impact the world, man, Jesus poured three and a half years of ministry into 12 guys, and they revolutionized the world that's lasted at least 2,000 years plus at this point. Um, our way of doing, doing uh, famous-type ministry here, it's backwards. And uh, you've got to give it away. If you really are more concerned with the kingdom of the Lord than you are with your kingdom, that's, that's the solution you're always going to come to. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. So um, out of everything that you've done over there, um, what has been the most... What, what's your best day? What was your best day? What's your best moment as an international missionary? What, what would you say? Because obviously, you know, talking to you, it's, it's, it's obvious that it's not writing a book. It's not being famous. What has been the pinnacle uh, for you when you think back, this was my best day? Uh, let me tell you about a month, if that would be all right. Two things on, on both ends of the month. Um, I told you we we first moved actually to Kathmandu in 2005, and we've spent we spent um, eight years on the ground. Uh, at the end of that time, where we're, uh, this would have been about January of 2013, uh, we're we're on cloud nine. We're we're not just seeing a multiplication of disciples. We're not just seeing a multiplication of churches, but we are literally seeing movements multiply in various places. Uh, at the time, we were tracking. Uh, uh, dozens of movements across the areas that we were working. And it wasn't attributed to any one guy, but they were dozens of guys all doing the same thing. We're, I mean, God is moving in, in powerful ways. In the midst of that, I get a phone call from my wife one day, and she said, our four-year-old has just fallen down. And I said, what do you mean? He's four. Of course he fell down. She's like, no, this was weird. It's different. 
We're like, okay, yeah, right. Next day, she calls back, and she says, uh, our son fell down again, except this time he was standing at the refrigerator. His eyes rolled back, and the first thing that hit the floor was the back of his head. Uh, I hurried home, obviously, um, got home, and by the time I got there, he was having uh, at least a seizure a day. Uh, over the course of the next two weeks, we flew out to the Capitol, saw some uh, uh, medical experts there, and he was diagnosed with epilepsy, and he was having literally multiple seizures every day. Um, from there, we flew out to Bangkok, where there's great emergency care. But prior to flying out to Bangkok, I called my national guys, and I said, there's something going on with my son. I'll be back by the weekend, though. Just, just hold tight. Well, we flew out to Bangkok. He was in the hospital for a month. They started discussing brain surgery. It landed us in the U.S. for a, a second opinion. And three months later, I go back to my house, meet my national guys, and I'm packing up my house to move our family back to the U.S. And I'm meeting with a good friend of mine. Um, let's call him Raj. And, and Raj was sitting there in my, in my living room. And I said, brother, what's been happening in the last three months? I, you know, the, the greatest uh, anxiety that you have is when you're out of the place and you're just expecting everything to tank. And he, he began to explain things, and he said initially there was a tank followed by a great upswing in, in what God was doing, just seeing him do amazing things. And through the course of conversation, we're talking about specific guys, and I say, what about this one brother? And he said, oh, that brother, he had to move to, uh, he said, Kuwait, and come to find out that's how South Asians pronounce the country of Kuwait. He moved to Kuwait, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, we lost him out of ministry. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, he's, he's there in another country now. He said, no, he's still doing church planting there. And yeah, he's working 60 hours a week, but he has already started a church over the last three months that he's been living there. And I was like, what do you mean he started a church in another country? He's like, brother, I didn't know you wanted to know about churches that have started in other countries. I said, yeah, I want to know about those too. And that night he listed off eight different countries that we'd had churches start in, wow. and I didn't know about them. Next day, he came back with a list of 13. And here I am putting all my things into the suitcase, and he hands me a list of 13 nations that his network alone has multiplied through. Uh, later that week, I'm sitting in one of the churches. I've never been to it before, but I'd promised this guy I'd come and visit. A brand new church. It's six months old. Uh, we've been pouring in uh, leadership development to brand new pastors. And if you know anything about Asia, you, you know that when you visit the church the first time, you better have a sermon in your back pocket because they're going to ask you to preach. So I show up uh, Sunday morning, never been there before, meet the guy, say, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to today. And he has me introduce myself at the beginning of service. But then for the next three hours that we're literally meeting, he doesn't have me say a word. And this brother, he stands up and he preaches and uh, shares a great message. But when we're done, we're out drinking tea together. And I say, brother, so great to be with you, but why did I not preach today? And he started off with, oh, I'm so sorry. I should have let you preach. Next time, definitely. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what I mean, brother. And he says, well, this week I was studying in God's word, and I felt the Lord tell me I needed to say this message to my church this week. And I said, brother, that's one of the healthiest things I've seen because it's no longer an open pulpit with guys coming in from the outside. But instead, we have a closed pulpit with a local leader who's now 
nine, ten months old in the faith, but he is standing up as the pastor of the church saying, I've heard from the Lord, I need to say this, and my church needs to follow me as I follow Christ. And we're seeing those types of things happen. And that's over the course of, you know, about a month from beginning to end, seeing those two things happen. It's just phenomenal. Well, man, I, you know, it's awesome because I'm seeing your face light up and I'm saying, you know, I'm seeing the, the energy come off you. Um, so we, we have two things, uh, that I want to do before we wrap this up. One of them is a question that, uh, we've been asking since the very start of this podcast and uh, it's going to throw you a bit, but we always ask, uh, it's different every time, but it's the same question, but different people involved. Uh, since you're an IMB missionary, I have to ask if you and David Platt got into a physical fist fight, who would win? <laughs> who would win? Uh, I think I think you probably wouldn't come to blows with either of us. David is far too humble of a guy to actually land any punch. Uh, if it really came down to it and one of us was going to have to kill the other, like in the movies or something like that, I think he'd win. He'd have to. Okay. And, and on, on account of... You know, passion on account of being a bit, you know, squirrely, quick, um, wiry. You know, he moves around quick like a monkey. What, what's the what's the reason? Not at all. If you saw, if you've ever seen David live, you, and it's off the cuff, the guy is a thinker. And he can't speak off the cuff very well at all. But he will have planned everything out. And because of his planning, uh, he would take me every time. He's kind of like Batman then is what you're saying. Batman's superpower is he's prepared. And he never loses. That's his other superpower. He just doesn't lose. So uh, we all know how the Superman Batman movie is going to turn out, in case you wondered. But uh, anyways, man, Jared, it has been awesome having you. I'm going to ask you to do something I don't ever ask my guests to do. Um, and it's not get naked or anything like that. Um, I'm going to ask you to close us out by praying for our listeners, praying for every guy listening who's hearing you, pray, praying for Maybe the answer to the call, but just whatever's on your heart, man, to pray for them. Happily, I'll do that. God, we just thank you once again for the day. Uh, We just thank you sitting here looking at the sunshine and the beauty of your creation, Father. We thank you for the love that you have for mankind and how it falls on each of us equally, Father. We pray that that love that you have for us, that it would well up in us and become a spring, Father. And I pray that you would open all of our eyes, the listeners as well as ourselves, Father. Just help us see people with your passion, with your love, Father. Help us be faithful to share the gospel. Even today, uh, give us opportunities, Father. Even today as we're sitting here in this place, give me opportunity to share uh, the good news with somebody else, Father. We pray most of all, Father, that your kingdom would come and that your name would become famous and your glory would be reigning from every mountaintop to every valley floor, Father, across the face of the earth. We pray that more than anything, that we would be found faithful to doing what you've called us to do, whether that's something great in the eyes of the world or something minuscule, Father. We just pray that in all things that your your, uh, glory would reign, Father. Hide us behind your cross every day. We love you, Lord, and we commit everything that we've said into your hands. We pray that it would accomplish what you want it to accomplish. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, brother. Well, this has been Jared. I can't say your last name, but uh, he's an underground church planner in Asia and uh, a mobilizer of church planners, a trainer of church planners, and an equipper and releaser 
of multiplication leaders. So it has been an honor. We have, true to uh, your ministry, we have met underground, as it were, at Exponential. I tried to create that atmosphere where we're, I'm secretly interviewing you because that sort of thing is forbidden here off the cuff outside the green room. So I hope that's helped you, you know, feel in your element during today's interview. But uh, Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.